Jeremiah chapter 12, the passage that Brother Eric read to us a little while ago, under the title, What Do You Do When the World is Falling In All Around You? What do you do when the world is falling in all around you? Is there anybody here who has experienced that type of thing happening in your life? So many things happened, it just felt like the whole world was caving in on you at the time. Lift your hand if you face that. Many, many people here have faced that kind of thing. I want to read this scripture again, give you a little bit of background. Jeremiah was God's preacher. You remember in chapter 1, God said, Jeremiah, before I ever formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. I have a plan for you. I have a blueprint for your life. You're to tear down, and then you're to build up. And then God gave Jeremiah a strange message. He said, uh, Jeremiah, my people have sinned. They've sinned grievously, and they won't repent. I've called others to preach, and they wouldn't repent. Now I'm calling you to preach. And as you read the book of Jeremiah, you realize that for 40 years he preached, and there was no repentance. God said, Jeremiah, I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to bring judgment. My people have refused to repent. Let us not in our modern 21st century think we will escape that same thing. God will not tolerate sin. Now all the sin, but if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you'll read carefully the Old Testament, you'll find that many times the people of God had sinned and then they listened to the prophet and repented and God changed his mind and did not send judgment. But with Jeremiah and his day, there was no repentance. Jeremiah got discouraged a few times in chapter 20. He said, Lord, you've deceived me. I've preached and preached and the more I preach, the more, more animosity is created against me. I'm just going to quit. <laughs> then he said, but the word of God was like a fire in my bones. I couldn't quit. He kept on keeping on. Well, in this particular passage, we're having sort of a dialogue between the Lord and Jeremiah. And Jeremiah's complaining. Do you ever complain? I should ask it the other way. Is there anybody here who has never complained? <laughs> well, Jeremiah's complaining. And listen to this. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. I want to I talk to you about this, Lord. There's something going on here. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Tempted and tried, we're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long, while there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. That's what he's saying. He said, oh, why do you let that go on? People have been ugly to me, and they just seem to be happy and having a good time. They've been ugly to you, Lord, and everything seems to be all right. Verse 2, thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root, they grow, yea, they bring forth fruit, thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. In other words, they're talking about you, but they're not letting you guide them. What an indictment. 
That's true of many people in the church today. I'm not speaking just of Glendale Baptist Church, but of all the churches. There are a lot of people that talk about Jesus. They sing, but they don't let the Lord guide them. The reins have to do with guiding. You put reins on a horse to guide him. You who were one time farmers, you know all about those reins on the horse. If you take a horse and don't put any reins on him, he goes wherever he wants to go, but you put reins on him and he goes where you want him to go. And this scripture is saying, Lord, you don't put any reins on these people. They're singing, but they're not being directed by you. And what's wrong? What's the problem, Lord? You imagine God asking God those things? God is sovereign. He's in charge of everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows how everything is going to work out. And Jeremiah is saying, now, Lord, I don't understand why you're letting this happen. But it sounds like some of us, doesn't it? Why, Lord, why? Why is the earth trembling? Why is the world falling in all around us? Why have my loved ones gotten cancer? Why have I had to deal with this terrible problem in my own life? Lord, why the dearest treasure on earth is taken away from me in death? Why, Lord? Well, let's go on. Look at verse 3. But thou, o Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Prepare them for the day of the slaughter. In other words, Jeremiah is saying, Lord, you know me and I've tried to walk with you. Now I want you to take care of all these people that are living so wickedly. And, and there's no, they don't seem to be judged or anything. Verse 4, how long shall the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. The beasts are consumed and the birds because they said, he shall not see our last end. Now the Lord is talking. And this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, God's talking to Jeremiah. If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they weary thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? For even thy brethren and the house of thy father, even they have dealt treacherously with thee. Yea, they have called a multitude after thee. Believe them not, though they speak fair words unto thee. And we can go to the rest of that chapter, but you get the idea here. Jeremiah is complaining. And our Lord is so gracious. You know when uh, Elijah got discouraged because Jezebel decided to kill him, he ran for his life and went to a juniper tree down at Horeb and wanted to give up. He said, Lord, my life's nothing. Let me die. And God said, Jeremiah, said Elijah, take a nap get some sleep. Sometimes the best thing you can do in defeat and discouragement is to take a nap. Get some sleep. And when Elijah woke up, God sent some ravens to feed him. And then God said, sleep a little bit more, you're tired. Isn't that good? Just think how good God is. And when he woke up again, there was some more food, and then God said, Elijah, 
I have a lot more for you to do. You are to anoint a new king in Syria. You are to anoint a prophet who will stand in your place when you're gone. I have much work for you to do. Now God is dealing gently with Jeremiah, but he's saying, Jeremiah, look at this. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, and thou hast contended with the horses, and if in the land of peace wherein thou trustest they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of the Jordan when the tough times really come? And God says that to us. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt that the best friends you ever had stand on the other side now? They're not with you. Have you ever felt you didn't want to go on? Has it ever happened that the things you dreaded the most began to happen? That all those that should have cared deserted you and even your family did not understand? Have you ever really felt down? That's where Jeremiah was. And I think that's a problem that we face from time to time. And then God says, uh, if thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, and how canst thou contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, how wilt thou do in the swelling of the Jordan? We have illustrations from the scripture concerning these things. For example, I think of Noah. God called Noah to preach. He said, now you build an ark. It had never rained before. What are you going to do with the ark? Well, don't ask me questions. Just do what I tell you. Does the Lord ever tell you to do that? Don't ask questions. Just, just do it. And so Noah began to build the ark. God said, I'm going to send a judgment. It's going to rain. Nobody had ever heard of rain. It had never rained before. He didn't know what that rain was, but he obeyed God. And while he was doing it for 120 years, he preached righteousness, the New Testament tells us. And they made fun of him. You old fuddy-duddy. Well, you've been doing that for years. When I was a boy, you were preaching like that, and you were building that ark. And when my grandfather was a boy, you were doing the same thing. 120 years. And Noah kept on. If he questioned God, it's not recorded. What does God ask you to do and you get defeated and discouraged and you feel like there's no use in going on? Or does faith pick up and with faith wings you keep on going just because there's something inside that says you must go on? In our Sunday school this morning, we, in our auditorium class, we talked a little bit about that. Um, do you want to finish well? A lot of people make a good jump at the beginning. Reminded me of the boy out at Camp Joy years ago when I was the RA director of the region. And we had those RAs come year after year. And this one boy, I won't tell you his name because he's a preacher today, doing a good job. But he got on the driving, diving board and he jumped and jumped and jumped and he wanted everybody to see him. And he made a big, big dive into the pool and didn't come up. And the lifeguard had to go down and get him. 
Anybody can make a big splash, but what happens later is important. Anybody can make a good beginning. Some of you who are young have offered your life to the Lord. Ask God now to keep you and help you to be faithful all the way. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You cannot work for a while and then quit. There's no quitting in the kingdom of God. There's no time to stop. You may have to change journeys. You may have to change jobs. You may have to move from place to place. You may not be able to stay at the same place all of your life, but you can stay at the same touch with God all of your life. So that at the very close you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, come home. Well, I think of Joseph. If anybody had a right to hold grudges, it was Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers into Egyptian bondage when he was about 17 or 18 years old. Young boy, maybe 16. Went down to Egypt, and God favored him, and he got a job in Potiphar's house and was so trusted and so blessed by God that Potiphar made him over to everything except one thing. Potiphar had a scathing, shrewd, wicked wife. Young man, be sure to marry the right person. Potiphar had a wicked, wicked wife. And while Potiphar was away sometime, Joseph would be there in the house doing the work that he'd been asked to do. And this woman over and over again tried to get him to commit adultery with her. And Joseph wouldn't do it. And finally one day when she was in a deep passion, she urged him to do it. He said, no! And he ran for his life, but... She got his coat and took it to the men and took it to her husband and said, this Hebrew has tried to abuse me. A big lie. Have you ever had lies told on you? That ever happened? Well, they put him in prison. And I don't know how long he was in prison, but all that time, Could he hate his brothers? Could he hate Potiphar's wife? You don't find that. You don't find him hating. Sometime later at the end of the book of Genesis, his brothers come down. Joseph has been elevated to the second position of authority in all of Egypt. His brothers come and they want food. And in the unfolding of that beautiful story Joseph reveals himself to them he lets them know who he is they didn't recognize him he was a young man when they sold him into slavery he's now a mature man in charge of all of Egypt and he tells them who he is and I can hardly ever read that scene in Genesis without tears Joseph went alone and cried It was such a moving experience with him. And then he came out and said, Brothers, you meant it for evil, but God did it for righteousness. When the things go against you, and people are opposed to you, and, and all manner of evil is spoken against you, and when it seems that your dearest friends, your brothers, your sisters, 
in your immediate family or in your church family, they begin to turn against you. Remember, God's still on the throne. You're not alone. Love them anyway. Well, I think of another person. I think of Paul. We've been studying about him in Sunday school. Paul had every reason in the world to hate the Jews. He didn't do it. He had every reason in the world to hate Festus and Felix and Agrippa, but he didn't do it. He had a mission in life and he knew that his mission was not finished. He must witness to the Caesars in Rome. However he got there, it was in God's hand. And even in the midst of the shipwreck, when all the sailors and the others on the, shore, on the boat said, let's put over the prisoner, cast him overboard. Paul stood uh, and he said, I fear God. I believe God. You all haven't eaten for a long time. Start eating. God told me last night that there be no harm to any life. Amen. You imagine the brazenness of that man speaking to his enemies like that? Now God can give you that kind of grace. What do you do when the world is tumbling in all around you? Look up. God is still on the throne. God is sovereign. He's in charge. God will take care of you. Be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. What happens? Well, I'll read you something from the Psalms. Listen to this. In Psalm 37, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. And so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now what's the secret of getting from God the desires of your heart? Just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need a new bicycle. I need a new car. I need a new house. I need a new suit. I need this. I need this. Give me, give me, give me. Or is it to delight in the Lord and say, Lord, what is your will? I want what you want. I want what you want. It's like a man that falls in love with a beautiful girl. And the man has a real desire toward that girl. He's not going to be selfish and just do what he wants to do. He's going to say, what do you want? We'll go where you want to go. We'll do what you want to do. And that's the way the believer is with Jesus. And if we really want a good time in the Lord, if we want the desires of our heart, find out what God wants, start desiring that, and he'll give it to you. And after a while, you'll be surprised that you want what he wants. Your selfishness goes away. Your desire for the things that you thought you needed, they're not there anymore because you're delighting in the Lord. Delight thyself also in the Lord, Amen. and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now that comes down to the bottom line. How do you delight yourself in the Lord? First of all, remember Moses did that? Noah did that? David did that? On and on, we'd call the role. Jeremiah did that. Paul did that. Where does it begin? Paul said, without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
For they that come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith is the victory. And when you put your faith in the Lord and trust in him, God will give you victory and liberty and freedom. And the things you used to do, you don't want to do them anymore. Things you used to say, you don't want to say them anymore. Things you used to fear, you don't have to fear them anymore because Jesus said, fear not. You don't have to fear a diseased body. You don't have to fear death. There's victory. at the end of death. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus promised that as a birthright to every Christian. You don't have to be afraid. Well, how can you not be afraid? You trust the Lord with all your heart. Now listen, I'm just a little bit afraid that we as Baptists have made the altar call a little bit shaky. I want to tell you, coming to Jesus is more than just saying, I believe with my head. It's a matter of saying, I believe with my heart. I'm going to trust him. Life or death, live or die, sink or swim, heaven or hell, I'm going to trust Jesus. And as I trust him day by day by day, when all these things crumble in all around me, I'm going to look up. And through all the debris and all the ashes, God's still there. And I'm his servant. He's going to take care until my mission is finished. That's what it means to trust Jesus. Put your faith in him. And when you trust Jesus with all your heart, he'll not disappoint you. He's all that he said he would be. If you've never been saved, come to him today. Ask him to come into your heart and be your personal savior. He'll do it. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that when the world is crumbling in all around us, we can look up. Those who are believers can know that they're on God's side. And God has never lost a battle. And he'll be with us all the way. And we don't have to be afraid. Lord, there are people here and within the sound of our voice today who have been troubled They've been hurt. They've been wounded. They've been perhaps overwhelmed by some petty sin. And they feel guilty before you. Or they're worried about some financial problem. Or somebody has not treated them fairly. Or they have not treated somebody else fairly. And there's a hurt in our heart. We pray that we'll be able to give that to you right now. And while we remain in prayer, wherever you are, will you transfer any grudge you have to Jesus? Any lack of forgiveness you have, give it to him. And when you've hurt somebody, ask God to forgive you. And then, as God gives you the grace, you go to that person and ask them to forgive you. And then say, Lord, I'm trusting you with all my heart. I'm going to delight in you and I know you'll give me the desires of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please.
468 without him I can do nothing that's a wonderful wonderful truth without him without Jesus that's what Jesus said without me you can do nothing now with him nothing's impossible the sky's the limit if you're here today and you've never been saved I ask you to come and trust Christ as your Savior if you're already saved if there's anything in your life that God has spoken to you about this morning you need to get it straight straighten it out right where you stand or come and kneel at the altar but get the thing right while we pray